Hello, fellow Rebel Capitals. Hope you're well. So the brand new CPI data is out. And, well, I'm going to leave a little cliffhanger there. Let's get right over to CNBC and check it out. Let me do the screen share. And, all right, we're ready to rock and roll. Over to CNBC. Inflation rose just 0.2% in June. Remember, that's month over month. Less than expected as consumers get a break from price increases. Key talking point. Consumer price index rose 0.2% in June and was up 3% from a year ago. So month over month, 0.2, year over year, 3%. Uh, this is really no surprise, especially if you've been watching this channel. In fact, I was doing videos yesterday saying that it most likely be right around 3%. And uh, for the last probably, I don't know, nine months or so, we've been talking about how we would likely see disinflation. That doesn't mean deflation, doesn't mean prices are going lower but it just means prices are increasing at a slower pace. And if you go back a year when the month over month number was 1.2%, we talked about this June, 2022, if you would have suggested, I, and I know this well, because I did a couple whiteboard videos and talked on this channel about inflation, having disinflation. And oh my gosh, I got my head ripped off. People were telling me that I was crazy. That we were that, that George, you don't know what you're talking about. You've lost the plot this time. I used to like you, but now I don't. <laughs> you know, my good buddy, Rich Cooper, said it perfectly. And the more I do YouTube and social media, the more I realize how true this is. People don't want to hear your opinion. They want to hear their opinion coming out of your mouth. <laughs> food for thought. All right. So let's get into the key talking points here. Like we said, month over month up 0.2 year over year, 3% excluding food and energy, the volatile food and energy core CP, uh, I up uh, 0.2 and 4.8 respectively. That's what the fed kind of pays attention to. They're going to give a chart that actually kind of shows it. So soft gains in food prices and declines in vehicle airline prices helped keep inflation down. Also, another massive decline I saw was in healthcare. It was really weird. I, okay. Um, I find that one tough to believe, but all right, I want to go down that rabbit hole. So inflation fell to lowest rate in more than two years. During June, the product both of deceleration in costs and easy comparisons against a time when prices increased. Yeah, so they could talk about base effects. Again, we went over that on uh, a video yesterday, I believe. The consumer price index. Uh, okay, we know that. Let's just go straight down to this chart. That says it all. So we've got uh, the CPI represented by this blue line. And then core, I believe uh, less food and energy is what they call core PCE, which is what the Fed really pays attention to. So like we said, uh, June of... 2022 up at 9%, 9.1. And since that time, we have come straight down to 3%. Now, the question, and then this PCE remains at 4.8. I hope I'm getting that right. The PCE, that's what sounds right. Well, you guys know what I'm talking about. That's the one that the Fed pays attention to because it excludes not just food and energy, but volatile 
food and energy. It's volatile, guys. It's volatile. That's why we don't want it in there. <laughs> uh, doesn't seem too volatile, though. I mean, look at the the the, the direction of the trend, and uh, compared to the core PC, it seems like it's actually the opposite of volatile. <laughs> Uh, but I don't want to harp on that. So now let's move over to another chart. And this is historic CPI going back to 1914. Yay. When the fed was created, (laughs) boo, boo. But what I want to point out is the two major inflationary decades that we have. Most people just think it was the 1970s. Not true. 1940s and the 1970s. And this whole time, I mean, let's go back to 2020. A lot of us were talking about inflation. They're saying, hey, if you give out stimmy checks, if you lock everyone in a cage, we're not producing stuff, prices are most likely going to go up. And then uh, people like Lynn Alden were saying, okay, well, now we're likely to have some disinflation Uh, She was beating that drum last year as well. Uh, Why? Well, because the stuff that caused the inflation to begin with, we no longer have it. And uh, inflation never goes up in a straight line. And she's also made a very clever observation that the increase in M2 money supply, which you see right here represented by the green line, back in the 1940s, was really a result of government spending being, uh, I hate to use the word monetized because it's not being precise enough. But For the sake of this video, it's just about the concept. So it's basically when the Fed is buying those bonds uh, from the Treasury via the banks or primary dealer banks, whatever. So you have an increase of M2, which is a result. But that's a result of a lot of government deficit spending and then the Fed doing, we'll call it QE. Where in the 1970s, this increase in money supply was really more so due to the banks creating a lot more of those currency units. That was impacting M2 money supply to a much more significant degree. But we look at these spikes in the CPI during the 1940s and into the 1950s, and you can see they actually went much higher than they did in the 1970s. Look at this, 1947. I always talk about this on my videos. It increased by 19%, 19%. But then what happened two years later? Not just disinflation, deflation. So think about this. Let's just imagine taking a DeLorean back to 1947. What do you think you would have heard in all of the newspapers? Most likely inflation, 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 hyperinflation. The Bellagis of the day would have been betting every single penny that the dollar is going to zero. And we're going to have hyperinflation. Ah, Zimbabwe, Venezuela. Well, they weren't then. I don't think Zimbabwe and Venezuela were a thing back then, but (laughs) they would have been saying, Weimar Germany, Weimar Germany, Weimar Germany. But what happened? We had the next month, uh, let's just assume that we're on a month-to-month thing here, right? You could imagine kind of what it would have felt like to read those headlines. It would have gone from 19% down to 17%, down to 14%, down to 12%, down to 9%, down to 6%, down to 3% down to 1%, down to negative 1%, down to negative 2%. And that's year over year. Just think what, the, in fact, the month over month, I take that back. The month over month, if the year over year is going from 19% straight down to 10, the month over month must have been like, it must have been in the negatives. I'd have to do the math on that, but it very well could have been negative. So this is how quickly things can change, even in an environment where M2 money supply has increased dramatically. 
Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts, Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Serezna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options. Tony Greer, commodity trading. Jason Hartman, real estate. And Brent Johnson with Macro Economics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of out-of-control central banks and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow rebel capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. All right. Now, is it always a result of M2? No, because you guys, again, watching my videos, you know, in the 1800s, we had massive money supply growth, M2, but we actually had deflation. And I would also point out here from 19, eh, call it 1990 to eh, 2020-ish, you see that we did continue to have a pretty high degree of money supply growth, but nowhere near the inflation uh, that we saw in the 1970s. But the, th the major point I want to make is what my good friend Lynn Alden has pointed out, that this, uh, that, that the increase in money supply here, M2, that contributed, and that's important. It's, it's not that it was the only cause, but it was a contributor. And that's why I've been going back and forth on uh, Twitter today as an example. And the, the people, you know, I love the Austrians and I, I love the sound money guys and gals, but this whole thing that the definition of inflation is the increase in the money supply, that has never made a lot of sense to me. I, I don't think that stands up to the data, the facts, because what you're implying there is that any increase in money supply is a debasement of the currency from a standpoint of that increase in money supply will result in consumer price inflation. So it, it's, it's the, what happens is you can't define inflation by consumer prices going up because that's not the root cause. The root cause is always because the amount of currency units went up. So that's the real definition of inflation is the money supply increasing. The prices increasing are just a symptom. Okay, but again, if that were true, then you would always see inflation, consumer price inflation, prices going up in times when the money supply went up. And we just look at history, we know that's not true. It's, it's unequivocally false, unequivocally false. Anyway. Let's get back to, to business here. So we have to fast forward to today and ask ourselves this, look at this increase in M2. Now, it is true that part of this was a result of bank lending initially, because if we look at loans and leases, it went straight up during the beginning of 2020, but then it started to really dip down. And I think this was mostly a result of people freaking out about Cerveza sickness and then drawing down their line of credit with the bank in addition to the Fed buying a lot of treasuries, a lot of bonds, a lot of assets, let's say, from the non-bank entities, which would make M2 money supply go up as well. So a couple things that contributed to that most likely. But the main point here is that this increase, which wasn't the only reason, 
we had inflation, but it most likely contributed to it significantly. And I would argue an even bigger contributor, aside from the supply side stuff, would be that you're taking low velocity money and turning it into high velocity money, meaning you're taking savings and turning it into checking. But again, we'll park that for another video. But this is more, much more similar to the 1940s, which is Lynn's point, than the 1970s. So we should expect more or we should expect the CPI, therefore, to really be tied to what caused this increase in the first place. And that was a combination of massive deficit spending. Uh, again, I'm ignoring the supply side dynamics. But uh, on the demand side, it was massive deficit spending and those a lot of those treasuries being bought from the Fed and a lot of the non-bank entities selling them. So this was much more consistent with what you saw in the 1940s. It wasn't very much, it wasn't like the 1970s. So we should expect, therefore, we should expect for the CPI to mimic what we saw in the 1940s and actually be a derivative of what caused it to begin with, which the, the key here is fiscal deficit spending that, that where you're being, you're, you got helped by the Fed there. That's, that's key. So my point is this is why we've been talking about lead to the next round of inflation because we can see right here the early 40s spikes way up then it comes all the way down way up again 1947 then goes to deflation but then it spikes back up to 10%. So what would cause us well it would be more of the same that got us here in the first place. So until we see the Fed start to increase the size of their balance sheet right now they're decreasing the size of it until we see the Fed starting to increase the size of their balance sheet. And a key component there is they've got to be buying stuff from the non-bank entities. If there's buying stuff from the banks, it, it really doesn't matter too much. Like, like Snyder says, it's an asset swap. Now you could argue if the banks are buying from the treasury because they know the Fed is going to buy it. Mm, there's some gray area there. <laughs> there's definitely some gray area. But my point is how will we know when we'll likely get the next wave of inflation in the 2020s. It's when we see something similar to what we saw during 2020 and 2021, which is what created the consumer price inflation to begin with. And in the interim, if we're not seeing those same dynamics play out, then we should assume that inflation will kind of sputter right around 3%. I don't know it'll go to 2% because if you look at the month over month going back a year and you extrapolate that forward, you're still kind of around 2.5, 3%, something like that. Um, but I, that's kind of my base case now is that we stay kind of at this level until we see more of what brought on the inflation to begin with back in 2020 and 2021. Main takeaway here, guys, uh, my base case, and I, I don't want to speak for Lynn, but I think this is her main base case as well, is 2020s are going to look like the 1940s, not so much like the 1970s. All right, guys, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. As always, make sure that you're standing up for freedom, liberty, free market, capitalism.